0: We've talked recently on this podcast about the afterlife of Azeroth, and it's being cracked wide open in the Shadowlands expansion. However, that is still hidden information to the denizens of Azeroth. You know, other than that there's a giant gaping hole in the sky, but how is that anything but business as usual for the bystanders of WoW? So for the rest of Azeroth that aren't jumping through mystical portals and looking for adventure, the mystic and spiritual sides of the world of Warcraft remain somewhat shrouded in mystery. Sure, there are writings on the various goings on pertaining to the never ending battle between the cosmic forces of the universe. But what does that mean to a farmer out in the countryside or a wide eyed priest in discernment and stormwind? Or what about any number of non humans with any number of ancestral beliefs, superstitions and deities? More importantly, how is theology shaped when those entities, at the heart of these religions, are actual, physical, and sometimes living beings? The formation of faith becomes somewhat tricky when you have something seemingly nebulous like the light. Capital letters. What does that even mean? That, in this case, both refers to the power of faith, but also a literal power derived from the Naru and the cosmos, but also is a primal power, but is also what they just called God in the Alliance. It can mean a lot of things. It's complicated, so we should talk about it. In a conversation about fictional theology with my wife recently, I joked that it seemed almost impossible to be an atheist in Azeroth due to the overwhelming proof of universal meddling, and she made an excellent point that I didn't think of that will shape the bones of this episode. I was coming at it from a Christian-centric, narrow worldview. In a world where the religious relationship between cosmic force and believer changes depending on who you ask, it's not as simple as looking at it from the perspective of believing versus not believing. And that's pretty important considering that my wife is a ordained, a ordained Episcopal priest. And so today, on Essence of Azeroth, we'll take a look at some of the forces within this cosmic order, including the origins of the Order of the Holy Light and the Silver Hand, as well as the recent additions to the lore of Death by Shadowlands, retcons, and what all of that really means. I'm Will Harrison, and this is Essence of Azeroth. A special thanks goes out to our first Patreon subscriber, Brooke Wright. Support from listeners like her goes to making Essence of Azeroth better each week. Please consider subscribing over at patreon.com forward slash Essence of Azeroth.
1: I be with you and also Reflect the light which supplements our strength. To strive to be divine for one of our kind does not mean we strive for Godhood. We strive to be good in all actions. Although called upon to smite evil in these harsh times, you must always remember that it's aiding others. That will truly set you apart from the other citizens. Compassion, patience, bravery, these things mean as much to a paladin as strength in battle. Know this well and never forget it. La, la,
0: If you haven't noticed, many of our lore discussions begin with the Cosmic Order Alignment Chart that became a central part of lore back around Illidan's Return. I've said this many times, it's in a couple of the printed books, including The Chronicling of Azeroth. I highly recommend it. Redcond in that book, World of Warcraft Chronicles, there is a chronological lore retelling of the WoW universe and its structure, brought forth by the idea of six great cosmic powers, light, life, disorder, order, death, and shadow, and within each of those, the commanding powers and forces. For example, order contains the power of the arcane, and also the universe shaping titans. You can see some of this play out in the Shadowland Covenants as well. It's this chart that delineates the power of this universe, and also brings forth the bones of faith, belief, and theology as we know it, all at different levels. I think that's what I find so fascinating about Warcraft's beliefs, because there are macro and micro-level belief structures that all carry their own weight in water. For example, there are obviously those who ascribe to the power of The Light, capital letters, as we'll talk about in a bit. But then there are others who ascribe to the belief that they have faith in the Naru, the cosmic beings introduced back in Burning Crusade that is essentially a walking power source and the epitome of cosmic balance. As we'll discuss later, they are literally made out of the light, which is to say the cosmic force and essence that created the universe. A Naru cannot truly be destroyed, but can become a cosmic void of energy, its antithesis. Like at the Sunwell Raid against Moru and its dark Naru form in Tropius. This energy could not be destroyed, just change form. And likewise, on the dark side of things, there are those who worship and believe in disorder, but are not necessarily members of the Burning Legion. The ones that will come to mind immediately will be warlocks, Warlocks on the Alliance and on the Horde are tapping into that cosmic black darkness, but they are also in accord with the social contract. There's weird anomalies like the Lightforged Nethrazine, also seen on Argus as part of the Legion campaign. Which, let me tell you, after seeing the Nethrazine pop up currently in Shadowlands, to go back and see the Lightforged ones without any kind of like, reference point is very strange. So there are layers to the engines that power belief in this universe, even if they don't always align with best interests. But what I find interesting is the interplay and balance between those forces. their believers, and the average people somewhat caught up in the crossfire, as they always are. This is essentially the ethos of the New Horde, with a brand new council made up of an undead priest, a shaman, multiple trolls and taran, a goblin who worships the almighty dollar, two Jews, an Episcopal priest, they all walk into the bar. Wait, that's not how the joke goes. A duck walks. Never mind. We'll come back to it. Now just in that group, there are myriad belief systems both in theology and in practice. The Tauren and the Trolls share similar lineage with the worship and belief of spirit totems and guardian spirits, but come at them from completely different angles, which is still different than even Thrall's connection via shamanism to the earth spirits, which is still even different from the Pandaren manifestations of spirit guardians, and then you have people like Caliomenethil and the Forsaken that, despite their current undead state, still mostly believe in the light, just in a different way. It's a lot. (laughs) And also a wonder that more of the fighting in the world of Warcraft isn't just over faith and religious beliefs. Maybe this is because everyone is trying to avoid literal wars, given that each of these folks' beliefs manifest in real and actual ways, sometimes to the chagrin and destruction of everything around them. And That brings us back to this idea in the intro about agnosticism in a universe like this, and how I came to a conclusion. A warning, this conclusion comes from back when I started writing this episode in 2021, and I've had some time to mull it over, but all the same, I think it's a strong statement. The equivalent of atheism or being agnostic in this universe is cultism and dark forces. Whether we're talking about the void, that is, worshippers of there being nothing. The Burning Legion, entities like C'thun, or anything else. And this can include other offshoot cults we've seen, like the Burning Hammer, the Cult of the Damned, as we talked about in Axe Rammus. Just in general, a void, once again, a-, a lack of something in the center at the heart of not believing. And I think the strongest example of this comes from one of my favorite five-man dungeons, The Hour of Twilight from Cataclysm, in which our heroes go on a mission in the Dragon Blight with Thrall to find the Dragon Soul and find a way to end Deathwing once and for all. The trip down into Wormrest concludes with a familiar face meeting our foes in Archbishop Benedictus, Which, if you didn't take any guesses from the dude's name, is not here to assist our heroes, but instead has succumbed to the Twilight Hammer's messaging.
1: I suppose it has to be this way, then. If only you'd seen what I've seen. Then you'd understand. There is no good. No evil. No light. There is only power! We serve the
0: world's true masters. When their rule begins, we will share in their glory." If this doesn't sound like a crisis of faith ending in nihilism, then I don't know what is. And if we're being honest, I love this moment because it's genuine. Lapses in faith often come in the form of feeling overpowered by nothingness, or a feeling as though there's no true meaning behind the messaging of our religions and faiths. And it stood out as an important moment that one of the figureheads of the humans and of the Alliance dating all the way back to Vanilla WoW was suddenly standing here before you and switching teams, which isn't the first time that someone associated with humanity and the light has suddenly pulled an about-face. But while Arthas and his turn are very much rooted in removing the shackles of what is considered right and wrong in the name of revenge and a greater good, Benedictus losing his faith is firmly rooted in hopelessness that I find relatable. Faith ebbs and flows like a coastline. Sometimes it recedes far back and you see the debris and waste that was underneath the waves. Other moments are high tide with the water covering all. And sometimes the tide pulls us in. One of the best aspects of high fantasy and fiction in general is using nebulous concepts like faith and spirituality and giving them concrete, tangible exegesis. The idea that someone's faith can be a true living force capable of healing and laser blasts and holy shields is not only great for making those aspects of fantasy cooler, shout out to anyone who has ever rolled a cleric in D&D, but can also provide a storytelling element. Waning faith is as easy to show in a setting like WoW as a spell losing power or a cleric turning to the dark side. But World of Warcraft also suffers from the problem of when your world building has gone on for so long that you start overlapping and breaking lore for the sake of forwarding progress to which I'm talking about the recent changes to the lore of theology and death with Shadowlands, and one of the main reasons folks soured on the expansion in the first place are somewhat mythanthropic changes to a world of faith. The biggest and most obvious change is that the world Blizzard weaved in the Shadowlands is very much at odds with the ideas of how faith and spirituality were known to work in World of Warcraft. A lot of people soured on this idea that the afterlife was basically a giant conveyor belt sushi restaurant of souls, energy, and a kind of lack of belief. There's a real lack of holiness in a majority of the areas in Shadowlands. Minus, of course, the direct allegories of Bastion being the Christian contemporary version of Heaven and Revendreth being Hell and so forth. If we're told that classes like the Priest and Paladin are powered by the Light, lowercase letters, then where was that represented in Shadowlands? All of it is antithetical to the systems set up in the past with the lore of the Naru and other bits and bobs that players have learned throughout the years. And if we're being honest, that's frustrating as a player. I've mentioned the story before, but one of my favorite quest lines is a wrath quest in Ice Crown involving the player attempting to heal a paladin of the Scourge Plague, going as far as asking the Naru of Shattrath City for help, discovering that there was no saving his physical form, but that his soul was taken in by the light. What does that even mean in a world where we know what we do know about the Shadowlands? Right now, it doesn't mean much of anything. And that's the sucky part about being in lore sometimes. I recently mentioned in a raid I was in that I created a lore podcast for WoW, and a bunch of people laughed at the idea of WoW lore meaning anything. And in many ways, while that hurt, I couldn't disagree with them fully, or at least devalue their ways they have experienced the game themselves. However... Part of lore is also the context of what it means in relation to you, the player, and how we create subtext and allegory for ourselves and our own stories. While a lot of people see negativity about this big soul meat grinder that the Shadowlands appears to be, I also see it as a world where the different faiths and belief systems all kind of come together and coalesce. Ardenweald takes from the spiritual side as well as taking notes from Buddhism and the belief that we are in a constant cycle of birth and death and rebirth. Maldraxis folds in the belief systems of the Nordic and Viking races, the idea that life is meant as a proving ground for the great beyond. In a funny roundabout way, Revendreth and Bastions are two sides of the same coin in regards to Christianity, with atonement, sin, faith, and rebirth all playing a part. Does it always make sense? No. But the player does have agency in deciding how we take in the world and view it through our own lenses. Where some see a messy retcon, I see Shadowlands as a place that feels very natural and accepting and even forgiving. Too often, we allow canon and lore to shackle us into these hard beliefs that, when those hard beliefs begin to change, we feel betrayed. But all things change, and not always even for the better but that doesn't mean we can't find meaning in those changes. Okay, soapbox box over, I promise. And as I said on Twitter recently, I'm not going to fault anyone for not liking Shadowlands. And I can't say that parts of it didn't leave me with more questions and answers, not in a good way, but I still think that the expansion has some of the most beautiful worlds we've seen in WoW, and I hope it's a set piece that Blizzard can continue to work with down the road. As I've said before, while all of this is going on in the Shadowlands, the exegesis of the world that is 99% of folks on Azeroth don't know what's going on, and life continues as normal. And there's still light and dark. So let's talk about what those fundamental forces really mean in regards to the exegesis of World of Warcraft. First, we have the light which is to say we have a fundamental primal force of the WoW universe. All things come from light and dark, which in this case are two literal fonts of immeasurable power that sit outside the known universe. It is also important to note that unlike a lot of high fantasy, light and dark are not necessarily pure good and pure evil. Far from it. One of my favorite stories recently in WoW is that of the Lightforged Draenei and how they're a perfect example of how the light can be used for evil and illegitimate purposes. At one point, players step into the shoes of the Lightforged campaign against the Magar Orcs, on that alternate reality version of Draenor that now exists post-Warlords of Draenor. With the Lightforged Draenei creating their by the Naru going on a full war campaign against the orcs, going as far as essentially creating a pogrom against them, ultimately being what forces the Magar to abandon Draenor and come to the main timeline of Azeroth. And you can experience that in the quest that is required to recruit the Magar to the Horde, if you're wondering where that is at. And it gives a lot of context, and it's really good. And on the flip side, shadow priests have always been a prime example of the shadow working for the greater good, with the priest class hall campaign being a prime example of the forces of light and dark working towards what is ultimately a greater good. This idea comes from the concept of agathism, or the idea that ultimately all things lean towards goodness. This is a concept seen across psychology and different religions, including Muslim and Christian beliefs, as well as messianism. 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 There we go, we did it. (laughs) Not all good things are for the best, and not bad things are bad forever. Lightforged Draenei coming as brainwashing conquerors and shadow-veiled priests tapping into the void to heal and save lives. Many sides, same coin. I'd also like to point out that, as we've seen, the Shadowlands is not the final resting place of all things. There is something far greater waiting for all beings. I often think back to the final season of The Good Place, one of the best pieces of TV in the last decade and one that I highly recommend, in which it talks about a place, a primal force that we all return to eventually.
1: Picture a wave in the ocean. You can see it, measure it, its height, the way the sunlight refracts when it passes through. And it's there, and you can see it. You know what it is. It's a wave. And then it crashes on the shore, and it's gone. But the water is still there. The wave was just a a different way for the water to be for a little while. That's one conception of death for a Buddhist. The wave returns to the ocean,
0: where it came from, and where it's supposed to be. We all return to that ocean. And in WoW, I think that's true too. Those two primal forces of light and dark that envelop the universe, all things return to it. After all, how many times did we see NPCs or entities die in the Shadowlands? Where else are they going to go? Wisconsin? All things return to the light and to the dark. We refer back to that Ice Crown quest I mentioned with Crusader Bryden Band, in which the Naru said he was sent to Paradise Eternal. The Nauru are beings made from the very light of the universe, creation itself. That's why they're so important. There's some final resting place waiting for all of our alts and toons on the other side, just not after Azeroth. The Shadowlands is yet another world to be explored, saved, forgiven, and helped, but eventually we'll all return to that light and dark. This is backed up by a few other lore things, including Nerzul pointing out in Beyond the Dark Portal that it seems that Paladin Torellian called upon the light and tapped into power in the exact same way that shamans call upon the elemental spirits. It's this channeling of energy that led to the creation of the Order of the Silver Hand and the idea that the light should be used to reveal darkness and not just defend people. And this all happened shortly after the beginning of the First War. This was also around the time that worship from humans in Azeroth turned from referring to the Light as God, I imagine because there was a shift where tangible power was now seen to do miracles in the real world. But even this could be considered part of the idea that Light isn't always pure good. Evil done against the Orcs in the name of the Light and Uther Lightbringer leading to the creation of the Paladin Order, leading to its downfall, leading to the Scourge campaign, so on and so forth. And sometimes balance can be found in between light and dark, void and life. One of my favorite new lore characters in recent years is Natalie Selene, a black woman who was once a cleric in Northshire and Stormwind, who was fascinated by the orc-warlock magic coming through the dark portal and where this font of power came from. Studying the works of the Shadow and essentially becoming the first Shadow Priest. She's also the one who found the possessed blade and book of Zalatoth, blade of the black empire which taught her further use of the void natalie was seemingly killed by her followers at one point for attempting to teach balance and to not fall too far into the shadow these turncoat followers would become the first members of the twilight hammer however natalie was not dead she had instead cast a spell to send her spirit into the void with her body being buried in raven Hell cemetery in darkshire This is also where the main religion of the Forsaken appeared, with the Cult of Forgotten Shadows believing that while the light physically and literally hurts them, they still serve the balance of light and dark and await for Natalie's return, which happens in the Legion Priest class campaign. And it's here that I think we see the endgame for World of Warcraft, or at least the big final push of this story of good and evil, light and dark, the Void Lords. Natalie mentions that she heard voices and whispers in the darkness of the Void that should worry one and all, and the Void Lords themselves are one of the last few bastions of old WoW lore that hasn't been too heavily looked at. All we really know about the Void Lords is that they created the Old Gods in their hunger to consume the universe. But safe to say there is more to learn about the worlds of the Void at some point. Thank you for joining us for a much-delayed topic on Essence of Azeroth. I don't know what I'm going to do now that I can't joke that the Theology episode is still coming. We'll just have to come up with another running gag. If you haven't already, please consider joining with me as a subscriber on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Essence of Azeroth. I'm offering three tiers of subscriptions, and we have benefits such as membership on our Discord channel, guild invites in-game, exclusive content down the road, and the ability to pick and choose topics for the podcast. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me make my dream a reality of making this podcast my full-time gig. So, I hope you will consider. Next time, on Essence of Azeroth. Have you ever wondered about the names of WoW servers and where they come from? After all, what's a Destromath? Well, we're going to name names and talk about the lore figures of WoW that aren't big enough to have whole episodes dedicated to them, but weren't talking about regardless. Until then, take care.
1: I be with you <laughs>